Welcome to today's episode of Speak Greasy in Mag Street Kitchen. And we're actually digressing a little bit today where uh, my guest is not, in fact, a chef uh, who has cooked in the kitchen, but is someone who is very integral to the whole hospitality industry. And um, he's the area director of the Singapore Tourism Board based out of Mumbai, uh, Renji Wong. Welcome to Mag Street Kitchen. Hello, Gauri. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. Very exciting to be in this space. I've never actually been here before. I know. And clearly never cooked here either, but uh, we might change that. I know. Yeah, one day. By the way, uh, so for those of you who don't know, Renji has these salons in his home, um, which are very, very sought after and harder to get a seat at than uh, even some of my own restaurants, if I may say so. So, so let's get right into it. Um, you know, Renji, you've been in Bombay um, a year, two years? You know, it feels like I've been here for a long time. I know. Time. I feel like you know Bombay better than most <laughs> Bombay locals. So I've, I've only been here since March last year. So like a wow. year and a little bit. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. And your role here is obviously to promote Singapore um, to Indians. But, you know, I have to ask... Uh, Singapore is one of the most popular destinations for Indians and especially Indian families, right? It's like the ultimate, uh, you know, entertainer and like it's got everything uh, that Bombay doesn't <laughs> or, or rather the rest of the country doesn't. But, you know, it's got so much to offer and, you know, the close proximity um, it just makes it an obvious holiday destination. So are you just chilling out here? Does this uh, does that make your life a lot easier? Well, sometimes I wish. Sometimes <laughs> I ask myself that. Why aren't I chilling out more? No, no, you're absolutely right. I think um, something that Singapore really enjoys is that it's not a new destination to Indians. Um, and I think, as you say, particularly for families, I feel like it's, you know, on the backs of a lot of the hard work that um, and achievements, I think, that uh, came up in the past, let's say, 10, 20, 30 years um, with Singapore uh, being what it is and coming up to what it is today. Family-friendly attractions, you know, it's safe, it's clean. All of these things, I think, uh, you know, makes it um, a joy and a breeze, right? Um, that said, I, I do think that the flip side to that is we don't necessarily have, you know, the benefit of like a blank slate, like a tabula rasa um, to kind of shape perceptions of Singapore. So I, th I think that when people think of Singapore, they think of, okay, cool, like Gardens by the Bay. Awesome. That's amazing. Universal Studios. Universal Studios. They think of the Night Safari and so on. And all of those are amazing spaces. Um, but I think one of the like hidden secrets that people don't really um, talk about about Singapore is that it genuinely is one of the most exciting places to be in um, as a young adult, right? And I speak for that, you know, uh, you know, for myself, I suppose, growing up in Singapore. And um, and I think, you know, it's obviously more than just uh, F&B. It's more than just, you know, our dining and nightlife scene. Um, it goes to retail. It goes to, you know, how events and entertainment industry. It goes to all of these uh, different areas. You know, I uh, recently had the privilege of traveling um, to Singapore and, and experiencing a lot of it through your lens as a local. And I have to admit, it was completely different from any other trip of mine to Singapore, right? And now, you know, I'm sort of waxing eloquent about all the all the cool places to go to, but it's it's only because I had that experience through, you know, your guidance. But I think that there is a little bit of a barrier. You know, how do you think we can sort of change that and get more people to experience? Because I was blown away. Yeah. No, can I just say that every time I go back to Singapore, I still have my Shake Shack. I still have my, <laughs> like, Din Tai Bong. I still have, you know, all of yeah. these, right? Um, and, and that's what I think. 
um, a lot of people enjoy about Singapore, including myself. Um, I think I think what's interesting is that the conversation um, around travel in general has shifted. I feel like you know for the longest time people have been talking about oh like experiential travel, right? People have been talking about, um, and, and but it's always an aspirational thing that people kind of want to do, um, but weren't actually doing. And I actually you know to get give credit where credit is due, I think COVID was the thing that really made people realize what traveling actually means. That is not just about going and taking a selfie with the Eiffel Tower. That is not just about hitting up, you know, all the top mm. sort of, uh, you know, sites of, of uh, any given destination. Um, but it really is about kind of, you know, you've spent so much time and energy and money traveling all the way to somewhere. You might as well see what's truly unique about that space. And, and so I think um, you're absolutely right that there's a lot of amazing and interesting work to be done um, in really uncovering some of these local, uh, very, very sort of, uh, authentic and I, I use authentic very carefully and in inverted commas right um, but but really like things that you know I growing up in Singapore did not just things that I would recommend to people but things that I like places that my parents brought me to you know places that I would go to when I'm feeling like like tired after a long day so I'm actually going to pick up on on you know um, something two words that you use just now which is local and authentic and uh you know, I think that the, the reason you said authentic was because Singapore is actually, you know, such a confluence of the countries it's surrounded by and the cultures and you have Malay and the Chinese, Indian and now what's Singaporean, right? So uh, what? how would you sort of describe Singapore to someone, you know, in terms of what this, this melting pot really means? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's funny because I feel like this concept of a national cuisine is so highly sought after um, and most of all by tourism boards, right? Because that's obviously a great marketing point. Singaporean chili crab. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, to be honest, the truth is that there's, there's nothing, I think, singular that defines or that captures Singaporean food. Um, because as you so beautifully said, you know, Singaporean food is really an expression of who we are as a people. And who we are as a people are just so many people, right? Um, you obviously have the indigenous people of Singapore and of the greater sort of Malay archipelago or the Malays. Um, you know, you have the Tamils who, who came, you know, during the colonial era. You have the Chinese traders um, who came a little bit earlier on. And then you have everyone else. You have the Eurasians, you have the Peranakans who are sort of a sub subculture. So I think to me, like how I would describe Singapore is really what you see on a plate is just a, it, it, that encapsulation of our history and of our people. I think to me, like the dish I would say that most beautifully um, encapsulates that is, um, is chicken rice, right? Which, I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about chicken rice as our national dish, but I think what I love about this is it's, it's in theory called Hainanese chicken yeah. rice, right? From Hainan Island in Southern China. But actually if you look at the methods of doing it, um, you know, they incorporate all sorts of ingredients. They incorporate, you know, ingredients that originate in the Indian subcontinent. Um, the methods of making a Hainanese chicken rice is actually very similar to some of the ways that you would make a biryani, for instance. Some of the ways that you would make like a lot of Malay dishes. It starts off almost with a spice paste and you cook that into a rice, which you never see any in, in any other sort of Chinese, Southern Chinese cuisine, right? And I think that's really what comes through, uh, you know, with Singaporean food. I love that. I, I think that's a great um, example to, to demonstrate what, yeah. what Singapore really is. Um, but, you know, while there's a lot that's rooted in tradition and, you know, we went to Tongheng, which is um, fantastic. I think I ate my body weight in, uh, in, those, in those custard um, tarts. But 
uh, you know, that's it's a fifth generation bakery, really like rooted in tradition. But at the same time, they're trying to kind of evolve and, you know, um, cater to a new yeah. palette and generation maybe. Um, or a new sort of way of dining even. And um, and at the same time, you know, we, we met um, Jamie from uh, Brasla and Distillery where, you know, first sort of gin distiller in Singapore, which was, I was really amazed to hear that because, you know, I, I thought it would have happened like a long time ago. And and even in terms of like the eating style, I mean, we were at a hawker center in um, Jong Bahru and uh, we were, you know, and the food was so good and so such value for money. And yeah. talking about how people, you know, are maybe moving away from cooking at home because yeah. they have such great food yeah. accessible to them, you know, faster, less hassle. Uh, how have you seen, you know, as a local Singaporean, how have you seen this evolution of hmm. what's happening in the in the country yeah. over yeah. the last, say, 15, 20 years? Do you know what? That's an interesting question because I feel like like I'm thinking back to the years when I was growing up and I feel that, you know, in the evolution of Singapore and maybe, you know, all sort of destinations and their food scenes, I feel like, or at least in Asia, I feel like there's definitely that trajectory of, okay, like when you first hit like foodie status is when you have the international chefs coming in, right? Um, and so you have your, you know, whatever, Alain Ducasas of the world and your Marco Pierre Whites of the world and your Gordon Ramsay's of the world coming in and setting, in, setting up their offshoots, um, you know, in any given destination. And then I think what's really interesting that's happened, I would say maybe in the past like 10 years, has really been that generation of Singaporean talent that was trained in these kitchens, right? And exposed in many ways to global cuisine, global techniques, who went, themselves went overseas and did stages and whatever, right? Um, and who have now kind of taken that knowledge and that toolkit um, and then brought to life their own stories. And I think that to me is always the most beautiful part of it, right? Um, and so if you look at like, for instance, the, you know, Asia's 50 Bears or the Michelin uh, list, I think it's, it's, it's always with a sense of pride that Singaporeans talk about like Candlenut, for instance, you know, Malcolm doing amazing things with Peranakan food, but in a fine dining kind of setting, um, or even, you know, Lola, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Bring, bring to life, I think your own identity. And I, I think that's, if you ask me a very sort of natural pivot that, you know, a food scene kind of moves towards. Um, and it is also a recognition that, you know, at the end of the day, your international cuisine is dime a dozen, right? If I wanted to go eat like amazing French food, of course I could have it in Singapore. Um, Odette in Singapore is three Michelin stars and it's amazing, but I could also go to France, right? But where else can I go to get, you know, fine dining Singaporean, the Prague cuisine that really was born and bred in Singapore. Um, and, and I, I think that Again, to your, to your first question, I think that makes life a lot easier for me as yeah. well um, in being able to talk about, actually, this is what our contribution to the world is, right? So, so yeah, I, I think from an evolution uh, uh, perspective, I, I think we've definitely shifted towards there. But I think one of the, the other points that you mentioned was also really interesting, which was how eating has changed, right? Because at the end of the day, it is the consumers that drive um, right. this sort of change. Like my family growing up in Singapore, we cooked all the time. But even for a family that cooked all the time, we would eat out, what, maybe like three times a week. Or we would like to take out, right? Um, simply because the, the, the hawker food in Singapore yeah. is so accessible. And I think different from maybe a lot of other destinations around the world, like price, I think, is not necessarily moored to quality or other quality is right. not tied to price. Right. Um, and I think that that for us is really what drives our perspective of food, right? Is that 
you know, when you are going to be able to get food at such cheap prices, amazing quality, you sure as hell are not going to pay a lot of money for food that's anything less than like amazing, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of driven a lot of how the, that, that sort of food scene has changed in Singapore. Um, but all that said and done, you know, I, I personally cook a lot here in Mumbai, but it's only because I'm very homesick um, and, you know, I don't have access to, you know, the amazing hawker scene in Singapore like we do back now. But it's interesting that you say that because there's an like equally burgeoning um, fine dining scene. Yeah. See, I, I feel that um, like on further reflection, at the end of the day, what people don't talk about about Singaporeans is that we're really all just gluttons. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just constantly, you know, we call it cheating on our meals, right? Like we're having lunch and we're talking about what to have for dinner because the food in front and then of us the is... the in-between meals. Oh, 100%. 100%. In-between meals, yeah. The in-between, between the in-between, right? But that's so great because you just get to like eat all day. I mean, that's like, it's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. No, and, and I, I think that, you know, it, there's a certain like, we're insatiable. We're truly just like, honestly, some of the worst customers in the world because you can never please us. Um, I've heard people describe it as our divine discontent, where we're constantly thinking about, all right, where is, you know, the next like high, where we're constantly chasing that high and where is that next hit going to be, right? And, and I think to your point, um, that, that is what has driven the food scene also, is that we want choice. We want options, you know, we want equally amazing, you know, your, your $3 chicken rice, but we also want a $300, you know, omakase meal, for instance, right? Um, and I think then, you know, variety is the spice of life. Well, there's no shortage of choice, that's for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the awards. I remember when Michelin was, uh, gave its first star to a hawker. Yeah. And I was just like, I think everyone was just like, what is going on here? Um, but, you know, fully reserved, but it was sort of traditionally reserved for the, the sort of uber luxury and fine dining experience. So, uh, it's really kind of a destination now for um, these award-winning restaurants. How does this really impact tourism? Like, take us a little bit through that. So I feel like, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about, you know, guides like these, Michelin Guide, or your Asia's 50 Best, or your World's 50 Best. Um, I personally very much concur with the view that the guides are a great starting place. I think especially if you're going to a destination where you literally know nothing about the destination or oftentimes like me haven't had the time or energy or willpower to go research a lot into a destination so i i think there is a lot of merit in that but i think some one thing that people don't always think about also is that the guide gives a certain incentive i think for young talent and chefs um to really strive towards excellence right um and say what you will about the hype and the buzz and the pr around it but I do think that it does have a net positive effect on any given destination. And, and so I think, you know, that's why um, you, I, I think we might be the only tourism board that has a team dedicated um, to dining and developing our dining and nightlife scene. Um, and they obviously invest very heavily, um, you know, in, in uh, sort of the whole pipeline of food events, not just, you know, the awards, obviously. Um, but it is also in recognition of developing our pipeline of talent, right? Um, which at the end of the day, with any hospitality industry, as you would well know, it really is about the people. And if you're not going to have that kind of level of talent uh, or, you know, people who are passionate enough to want to strive towards excellence, 
your food scene is going to flounder, right? And it's, it's, it's never going to get beyond a certain point. So I'm not saying that, you know, Singapore wasn't what it was or wasn't what it is today before the guides came in or before the awards came in. But I do think that there is ultimately that kind of driving, um, I guess, fuel, right? Um, to, to so push. spotlight kind of gives a lot of yeah. incentive to people to actually strive to... Yeah, 100%. So yeah, from a tourism point of view, I for sure think that there is a lot of value in this. Yeah, well, I hope the the right people in in uh, in India are listening to this or watching this because you know that's something that's a big frustration for someone like me who's part of you know the F and B world in in um, in India where I I don't think that the the understanding of how this can positively impact tourism inbound tourism has really been grasped and um, taken advantage of and uh, you know it's really interesting that you say that Singapore tourism actually has a team dedicated to you know, F&B or to dining. Um, what are some of the other things that, you know, you think um, Singapore does really well to encourage um, this, you know, the, the, this, this fostering of this talent in a way? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I will say that coming here and seeing the food scene here has been really, really eye-opening for me. And I think precisely because a lot of it is so organic um, that, you really do see, you know, the concepts that are coming out. And I think particularly in the time that I've been here, right, the past, let's say, one year and a little bit, I mean, Mumbai as a city has changed so much from a food scene perspective. And I, I think it's, it's for the best, right? It's for the, or for the, for the better, right? Um, but I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate um, about the food scene and the way, you know, food has come to be in Singapore is that it's not just about sort of that recognition at the top level or resourcing at the top level, right? Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, all of your tourism promotion is, is not going to work or it's going to be very superficial if it weren't backed up by this demand. It's absolutely demand. And, and I think, like I say earlier, right, uh, this national sort of obsession yeah. um, with keeping our food culture alive. Yeah. Yeah. No, it goes back to that eating all day. Uh... Yeah. One of the easiest ways to start a fight in Singapore is to tell people where your favorite chicken rice store is. <laughs> well, I'm going to come to that very soon. Um, but, you know, just going back to now, you know, your role here in India, um, what is it that you're sort of trying to do? It's a, a question of just telling people what I appreciate most about Singapore. And I think just getting people to understand that and, and be, I guess, um, have the gumption and, and be brave enough to go out and try something that they've never tried before, I think is, is something that I really, really enjoy doing here. And also, I, I think, you know, um, in India, again, the, there's a whole segment of consumers that I dare say maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago didn't quite exist, which is precisely this group of, yeah, people who are really, really willing to go out and try really something that is very, very different from what you've ex experienced before and find the biggest joys and the simplest joys um, in that. And so I, I think, you know, for me, that is perhaps one of the biggest priorities is being able to speak to this group of people. Um, and, you know, going back to our trip, to Singapore, we went um, on the trip with some really fascinating people, Kainas um, from Teoproma, as well as, uh, you know, Diggy and some from, from this whole company. And I think what I love about all of these companies, including yourself, these brands, is that you, you speak to your audiences in such specific ways, in a way that they know and love. And I think for me, it's about also identifying, you know, what are the commonalities 
and 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 what resonates between let's say the Singapore food scene, let's say a Tongheng um, and a Teobroma, for instance, right? And then using that as a way to speak to Teobroma's um, you know fans, you know, and and and, and friends um, all across the country. And I think that for me is we we really just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. No, I think you know again coming back to my experience, it's really things that I. Probably, you know, and I'm I'm pretty adventurous, I would think, but um, just wouldn't know. It's not yeah. about not wanting yeah. to or like being afraid to try something, but just not knowing how to, you know, um, decipher that sort of uh, space that isn't as, you know, maybe uh, not organized, but I would say accessible. And I, I guess that's where, you know, Mag Street, what we are trying to do as well is to bring some of that here in a format that isn't as sort of, um, unknown to people and you know ways you get to just um, connect with the food and you don't have to you know think about like oh I don't know where to go or I don't know like yeah. I can't read the signs or I don't know what I'm ordering um, I can't communicate or any of that it's just you know you, you break down that and you just bring um, food to people to enjoy in its, in its sort of purest way of just enjoying food you know so now now tell us uh, Renji some of your um, favorite yeah. local horns, which are not your, you know, just the, the known devils, but... Um, How much the, time do we yeah. have? <laughs> Take as long as yeah. you want. <laughs> I I think what I love about Caso is that it's really all very simple food, right? So it's not yeah. your very complex clash of flavors. It's not highfalutin. It's, it's they're most famous for a fish noodle soup or like a soupy fish noodles. Um, and the broth is essentially boiled with the fish bones uh, until it emulsifies. So think of it almost as like a tonkotsu ramen, but made with fish. Um, but it's like the cleanest, most like creamy, um, you know, flavors. It goes with like the, the thick rice noodles, slices of fish and um, little bits of uh, like lard on top, crispy lard on top. I think I just ate the crispy lard. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm totally going to get cancelled for saying this. I might get fired. Um, but the one place that I always stop by is McDonald's. And if you recall, we 100% stop by McDonald's. This is not supposed to be on the record at all. I never went to a McDonald's with Renji in Singapore. But let me, let me tell you what's special about McDonald's in Singapore. So when I was growing up, McDonald's for us was like a treat, right? So if you did well on a test, and, and maybe, maybe if your parents were in a good mood, they'll bring you to McDonald's on a Sunday, right? Um, and so I think because of that, different from, let's say, in the U.S., the quality of McDonald's in Singapore is really great. And I think the great thing about fast food um, is that they truly have perfected your food processes to a T. Right? So one of the dishes that actually pretty much the only dish that I always get there is this dish called the chicken. It's weird calling it a dish. Whatever comes in a box. I was like, you're being very uh, in the portable, disposable paper box. Um, is the McSpicy Double, and it's essentially a fried chicken sandwich, but it's made with chicken thigh. It's battered and it's marinated in spices. Right? It's very spicy. It's shockingly spicy, but when you bite into it, it's so juicy. And honestly, I don't even bother with the bread. I think you have to say when you bite into it at two a.m. after a lot of drinks, it's particularly. We had, a, we had a lot of drinks yeah. that night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was really fire. And then I, I think the last thing I would say is focus centers. Um, just because, like I say, you know, there's nothing like discovering what a community represents by looking at its food um, and the way people eat, 
right? And I think the hawker centers for me is always that sort of egalitarian ideal yeah. where, you know, you have people like the, the, I don't know, like the road cleaner at the end of their very long day, very long shift, sitting down and having a bowl of noodles, sitting next to someone who rocked up in, you know, a Mercedes Benz, um, a business tycoon, but all sitting in the sweltering heat, um, eating. And I think what's also really fascinating to me about hawker centers, well, two things that are really fascinating to me about hawker centers is that one, um, they're, they're, they're literally hawker centers, right, as the name suggests. So these store owners literally, we call them street food, even though they're not necessarily on the streets, because back in the 60s and 70s, the government, for purposes of sanitation, decided that they would get the street hawkers off the streets and into centers. But as a relic of that, what you end up having is that each of them only really sell one or two dishes. And this means that day in, day out, for like the first 30 it, years, that, whatever, yeah. they literally are making the best possible bowl oh. or whatever they're making, right? Or dish or plate or whatever. Um, and, and, and I think that's just such a beautiful thing to, to see and honestly to like support. Um, and then the other beautiful thing about Hoka Centers is that oftentimes they're attached to a wet market. So downstairs you have the wet market and upstairs you have the, the prepared foods. Um, and oftentimes the upstairs gets literally their, you know, produce from the downstairs. And I think that is just such a fascinating peek into the belly of a nation, really, right? Um, looking at how people eat and, and, and how our food is so influenced by the produce around us. I mean, we talk about, oh, like Locavore, KM Zero eating. Singapore doesn't really produce that much of our own produce. But what you see in the wet market is really a reflection of the seasons around us. Um, and, you know, Southeast Asia, in particular areas around the equator, are just such rich agricultural and, you know, biodiverse spaces. Um, and I think that's just a, a very beautiful thing to see. Because everything I think we ate was pretty much, most of it was non-vegetarian. And then there was this long queue and we were like, Renji, what's that? There must be God. And you were like, that's the only vegetarian um, stall in, uh, in, in, um, in that hawker center. And it was just amazing that you know, there, there is that, there is, there is food for vegetarians, if, in case you're wondering. Yeah, so. yeah. No, and I think that's one of the points that you raised earlier, right? Is what is stopping people from, you know, going out and, and like, I think particularly Indian consumers yeah. from going out and exploring local food. I think it's this perception that a lot of Singaporean food is non-veg. Um, and of course, like, I love my meat. Um, but, you know, for instance, when I was growing up, once, actually twice a month, we would eat vegetarian food because my parents are Buddhist. Um, and the Buddhists have a very beautiful vegetarian culture as well. Um, and so there's a very long sort of culinary tradition around Chinese vegetarian food. A lot of Malay food is made from sort of pi sp uh, herbs, spices, vegetables. Um, and then, of course, you have the Tamil population, right? And the Tamil population also has this beautiful sort of vegetarian culture. And then add to that all the vegan and vegetarian, you know, international food places that have come up. I always get very surprised when people tell me, oh, like, is there vegetarian food in Singapore? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I think you have to do a vegetarian salon next. Oh, my. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll see about that. Yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I, you, you didn't mention this one, but the other um, experience that we had, which was amazing, was the bakute, which, again, I've never had that. Yeah. And it was perfect because it was this, it's like a hot, I, I'm going to, again, like be, uh, you know, this is like blasphemy calling it a hot pot, but it is like, you know, it's a big bowl of like, soup and yeah. you know and, and it was perfect because it's always raining in Singapore um, and so you know it's just raining and it's like it's just the perfect comfort food um, in that weather. Classic Sunday breakfast like foods yeah yeah absolutely it's um for, for people who may not know what bakute is it literally translates to pork bone tea 
um, and it's uh, essentially pork ribs that have been boiled for hours and hours and hours um, with a lot of pepper, with a lot of garlic. And so it's, you know, it was in a sense invented um, really as a way to extend um, the mileage that you get out of a little bit of meat. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the laborers that were the Chinese population that came over to Singapore back in the day um, would have a little bit of meat in a huge boiling pot of soup. Um, and Singapore is very humid. And so the pepper kind of drives out the, the humidity from your body um, or something like yeah. that. Right. But it's delicious. That's the main point. It's delicious. Exactly. So where's the best place to get the chicken rice? Oof. All right. Shall we turn off the <laughs> No, I, I, I think that to me, the one place that I always gravitate towards is in Maxwell Market. It's a hawker center in the middle of Chinatown. Um, and it's this one place called Tian Tian Chicken Rice. Um, I love it for a number of reasons, primarily because their chili dip is incredibly spicy. Um, it's unapologetic. They use a lot of what we call chili padi, which is the little Thai chilies. Um, and it's very gingery. It's very fiery, very garlicky. Um, the rice is beautifully coated in schmaltz, in, in sort of chicken fat. Um, and you taste each and every individual grain, but it's not mushy. I feel like a lot of places end up having the rice be quite like soft. But here you get the full texture of each rice grain. Um, and it does have that sort of mix of spices, aromatics that they cook down into it as well. Um, you're a very tough customer to please. Oh yeah. <laughs> Trying to like not let my drool sort of, you know, spot. And then the best, be, one of, one, again, the other best part about it is the way they process the chicken. Now, I am a sworn enemy of chicken breast, right? Because I, to me, I just don't get it, right? I don't get chicken breast. <laughs> but the only place that I will eat chicken breast is at Tintin Chicken Rice because, and that's how you know how someone truly has mastery over heat and protein, um, is that the chicken breast is just so perfectly juicy. It tastes like Thai. And actually, if you look under the skin of the chicken, it's essentially a poached chicken. And then they dunk it in ice water. Um, and in that process of dunking it in ice water to shock the chicken, it tightens up the skin. But also, whatever other juices and whatever collagen that has kind of come out from the chicken meat um, and pulled under the skin becomes a little layer of like clear jelly, right? And again, like that jelly to me is not, it's not, it's non-negotiable. It's, it's not, you cannot compromise on that because it means that the, the chicken is perfectly perfectly poached and okay you're gonna make this for us <laughs> i will i will i'll 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 try my best to do we should a add a, a recipe of, of yeah. making this uh to this to the video um you know we talked a lot about food and of course that's a um i think a common hobby we have but um the bar scene is bustling like hell over there and you know you you've um hosted uh you know, some of the really cool bars in your home, but also I know they're coming, you know, and doing um, bar takeovers around Bombay. Um, what, how, you know, is that something that's that's also really uh, blossomed in the last few years? Yeah, yeah. I feel that, you know, the, the mixology and craft cocktail scene is almost an extension of the culinary scene. Yeah, the most celebrated institutions in Singapore today, as far as craft cocktail bars are concerned, are really, really built upon technique, right? And flavor, the extraction of flavor, combining interesting techniques that's not traditionally used in, you know, mixology um, to extract different flavor profiles and combine them in interesting ways. I, I love the fact that a lot of these bars are um, in, a, in a sort of speakeasy format. And so you just don't know what's happening. And it's this, you know, it's a very kind of like... Um, 
well behaved <laughs> on the outside, seemingly well behaved, and then you go in and you just get hit every time with an experience that you cannot yeah. even begin to yeah. anticipate, yeah. you know, and I um I love that. I love that element of surprise. You know, it's so funny that you say that because so I live around the corner from, you know, where your restaurants are and I always pass by Goku. And I always think to myself, this would make an amazing speakeasy. You know, you like press a certain button and then the, you know, the brick shifts over and then it goes into craft cocktail while, you know, there's the other Goku, which is obviously a whole lot of fun too. Love that. I, 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 we, we live in a we, Shall we make it yeah. a thing? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we live I think in we should do a party. <laughs> so speaking of Goku and um, uh, besides our restaurants, <laughs> what are some of your favorite haunts in Bombay? So I definitely think that um, Ramashraya in Matunga, um, just because that for me is like nostalgic food, you know, I grew up with dosas and parathas. And so when I'm homesick, I go there. Um, I love, um, this is place that has recently opened up called Masli. It's in Worthy. I love her. Like I'm learning from you about what's happening in the Bombay food scene. Glutton from the absolute glutton. So Masli um, is this place that does Konkani cuisine, but they do specifically GSB cuisine, right? Which is called uh, Saraswat Brahmin oh, yeah. cuisine, which I think is fascinating because it's seafood, but it's considered, you know, it's Brahmin food. Um, and the flavors, I think, to me, has that little edge over, you know, all the other Konkani places. And it's, it's really, and they do amazing mandeli fry, which I could eat, you know, plates and plates and plates off every single day. Um, I do love what the team at, you know, Bombay Canteen and O Pedro are doing. Just because I, I think they're the kind of places that I literally go back to over and over again and never get bored. It's hard to fight what Musk is doing, I think what, you know, Aditi, um, Varun and, and, um, and Ankush are doing, it really is bringing, I think, the scene here to a whole new level. Um, and I think it's fascinating. Um, and then, this might be a little bit of a cheat, but, um, because I haven't actually tried it, but the one place that I've been meaning to try is this new place that's opened up called Naga Belly. Um, and they do Naga food. And I was in Naga land last year for the Hornville Festival and I was just blown away by the food in the Northeast. Um, so worth, he, he, I think he used to be like a, like a cloud delivery, cloud kitchen kind of service. Um, and he's just open. The only issue is that it's in Andheri West, which is very far from where I am. But one day, one day, <laughs> hey, if you're down, we should, we should. Amazing. Listen, thank you so much. Oh my God, for, thank you. Um, opening up our eyes um, to Singapore and also Bombay, <laughs> clearly. And, um, you know, we are going to make that salon and bar takeover uh, 100%. happen. 100%. So, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Gauri. <laughs>